Welcome to Morning Devotion with Ken Gurley. Devotions designed to inspire you on your daily walk with God. Here's your host, Ken Gurley. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to Morning Devotion. And devotion is what it is. It takes some devotion for you guys to show up here each and every morning, 7 o'clock Central Time. And for those of you that are on the East Coast, you're cheating. You got an extra hour. But for those of you on the West Coast, hats off to you. Those of you half a world away, however the time falls, thank you for being a part of this morning devotion. And so Sarah and Jerry and Scott and Sue and Alice and Josie, thank you. Thank you for making this a priority in your life and not just making the devotion a priority. I understand what's all behind this. It's it's putting God first. It's from the rising of the sun that we we say and we state that we know where our help comes from. Amen. We know what God is doing in our lives. And so this is this is we're on a roll, folks. We're on a roll. This is day 10 of 21 days of prayer and fasting, fasting however you can, whatever you can do, and uh, to keep your, your daily strength and um, make sure you do what you need to do in life itself. But turning away from something that you prize to turn to the face of God and say, God, we need you for today. Today's title is controversial. Today's devotion is ancient, something better than God. I I believe there's a call going out, and it's going out to one and all, and it's crossing the seven seas and the seven continents. There is a call that it's time to assemble before the throne of grace and to see what God is doing in our day and in our hour and to hope and help, to find our hope and help in Him. God is leading us. We believe God answers prayer. And when a few of us gather together and pray, we believe that God really hears our prayers. We gather to speak to him, but God speaks to us. And today, I I just felt impressed. Early this morning, I could not get away from this thought that I need to clear something up. I need to clear up an old, old error, and perhaps the oldest error of them all. I want to call this something better than God. You're going to want to share this because I believe it goes to the root of where we're at in our lives. You recall I've been pointing you in these uh, 10 days to the comparative and the superlative that God is the more and the most and the higher and the higher and the greater and the greatest saying God's all of these things. But I believe now's the time to deal with that ancient error. The thing that got us off track, us meaning mankind in general, us meaning me and you every day of our lives, we can fall prey to the lie, to the lie that there is something better than God. Oh my, oh my. It was the original lie. It was the original one. And uh, that there's something more out there, something better than God, something better than paradise. There was something better to God. And to believe that there's something better to God, God had, Satan had to convince mankind that God really didn't care about them, that he was holding out on them. He didn't want them to have what they should have, that there was something better than God. And that is the whisper 
of the enemy. We hear it all the time when hurricanes come, when wars come, when bombs explode, mass shootings happen, when poverty, want, neglect, abuse take place. The world and the media are quick to point out, where was God in all of this? Where was God? They're implying there's something better than God. And then when we say our thoughts and our prayers are with you, they discount it because they're saying there's something better than God. It's an old lie. I want you to know, and I just want to underscore and embolden it, God is love. It's his greatest affinity. It's his nature to love, to care for, to be near, to draw close, to show us his favor. But the accuser of the brethren would have us to believe that God, the God who is good all the time, has somehow let us down. He's ignored our needs. He's neglected us. He's turned his back on us. And hey, can I just stop right there and just just stop, stop right there and say, isn't that what's behind a lot of prayerlessness? We believe that God is not the greatest. God is not the most, uh, the most important, that there is something better than God. We can turn to the works of our hands. We can turn to the media. We can turn to some self-help guru. We can turn to some gymnasium fitness center. We can turn, yeah, you get the picture, We believe in our heart of hearts that old, old lie that there's something better than God. I want to dispel that lie today. If you would, if you would, you know the drill. Like the page, follow the page, share the page. Thank you for being here, Rita and Amanda and Kathy. And and if I get off track, you guys get me back on track, all right? Yeah, I, I need help getting back on track. How do I know How do I know that I believe this lie, that there's something better than God? How do I know that the enemy has made an inroad into my life? How can I tell if beneath my fifth rib and my heart of hearts, beyond the mask and facade, beyond my words, my protestations, beyond my songs, my testimonies, how do I know if I really think there's something better than God? There's one word, emptiness. Do you feel empty? Solomon is credited with three books in the Bible. Tradition says that Solomon wrote the Song of Solomon or Solomon's Song, the Song of Songs, when he was a young man. That song is about first love and romance and carved initials in the fragrant boughs of an old apple tree. Solomon, away from the palace, hidden in the robes of a shepherd, falls in love with the shepherdess who's blinded to the challenges that awaited both of them but so indicative of first love. What the church of Ephesus, Jesus said, left behind. First love that says, I'll go where you want me to go, God. I'll do what you want me to do. That same first love that caused Solomon to offer, the Bible says, a thousand sacrifices at Gibeon in a single day. First love puts all on the altar. First love lays aside every weight and every sin. Nothing is done out of duty and obligation because I have to. Nobody's holding a gun to your head. Everything is done out of delight and love because he's stolen your heart. He's stolen your heart. Oh my. So tradition says that Solomon wrote Solomon's song, the song of Solomon when he was a young man. And we can see that. We can see that. But then tradition says, rabbinic tradition says that Solomon wrote Proverbs in the strength of his adult years. He was a king, a king dispensing divine 
wisdom. You remember, you remember. That's what he asked for that night in Gibeon after a thousand sacrifices in a dream. When the dream peddler came to Solomon, he said, ask me what I shall give thee. And he said, I I want wisdom. I don't know how to come in, go out. I need wisdom for this people. And God said, because you've asked for wisdom, wisdom that's going to amaze the queen of Sheba. Wisdom that's going to cause people to come from far and near to hear your words. That wisdom, wisdom, the Bible says, that was wiser than Ethan and wiser than Heman and Calcol and Darda, the sons of Maal, whoever they were. That Solomon composed 3,000 proverbs, 1,000 songs. He spoke of trees and plants. He was an arborist and a botanist. He spoke of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish. He was a biologist, a poet, a psalmist. Why? Because he asked correctly, and God gave him wisdom. His priorities were right. Seek ye first. Oh, that's that old Matthew 6, 33 verse. Seek ye first the kingdom of God is righteous. All these things. He asked God for wisdom and God said, Solomon, because you've asked correctly, you've asked rightly, you've asked for divine wisdom. I'm also going to give you riches. I'm going to give you honor and I'm going to give you a long life. And it was those incidental blessings. It was those added on blessings that all of us pursue, but the incidental can become accidental and not providential. Oh, I'm going to say that again. The incidental can become accidental and not providential. Stepping stones become stumbling blocks. And as the years passed, Solomon struggled. You know what Jesus said? Life can be cared, compared to 12 hours in a day. And as a man walks in the day, he will not stumble. But he walks at the night, he shall stumble. As long as there's light, as long as there's light, we're not going to fail. But when darkness comes, we can fall by the wayside. We, we can live too long. We can outlive our wisdom. Solomon did that. He stumbled in darkness. And a wise man began to destroy his life as a foolish man. So he wrote Solomon's song as a young man, Proverbs in his adult years, Ecclesiastes as an older man. When we read of first love and we read of witness, then we see the many, many mistakes Solomon made in his later years. We get to understand this, that there is a lie out there that can attack the wisest of us all. That spiritual success today does not guarantee spiritual success tomorrow. And if you walk while it's night, you're going to enter into the dark world of Ecclesiastes, where the theme is one word, emptiness, vanities, the King James Version. If you've grown as intrigued as I during this season of what we're living and enduring, people I'm just intrigued. I'm intrigued by some of the things that are happening right now. You know, can I tell you a few things that are happening right now that are just just revealing to me? Board games. Board games. Those those old games like Monopoly. God help. God help you if you love Monopoly. Oh, my. I always gave my money away in Monopoly. I was never good at it. Uh, But... But uh, Monopoly, Life, all these board games are making a comeback as families are gathering together and neglecting. They're Netflixed out. They're Amazon Primed out. And they're 
tuning back into one another. That intrigues me. Another thing that is intriguing me in this season is that people are taking road trips. If they're able to get away, they're going and standing on the cliffs of the Grand Canyon, and they're looking at the sweeping vistas. They're going to the coastline and looking at the limitless horizon. They're journeying into the still snowbound mountains and mountain passes. What's going on? In days that we're living in, we sense the emptiness of a modern world, and we're moving back into family, God-made beauty, because in a world that suddenly gets empty, we realize there's got to be something better than this. Can I get a witness to that? There's just got to be something. Family takes on a new meaning. Being together takes on a new meaning. Holding one another close, staying in touch with one another. Why? We sense the vanity and the emptiness of a modern world. And there is an aching chasm within us that only God can fill. Isn't that what Augustine said many years ago? Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. But Solomon, as lost in love as he was a young man and as wise as he was as an adult, he set out on a quest, a pursuit, to see, can I find if there's something better than God? Well, is there anything better than God? In Ecclesiastes chapters 1 and 2, recall that search. He searched for happiness as an end to itself. He gave himself to the pursuit of joy and peace, not realizing that peace and joy and happiness, they're byproducts. They're byproducts of a life lived before God. And what he found was emptiness. He sought for meaning in industry. You start looking at the action verbs, uh, the works of his hands. Read how busy he got in the second chapter. He said, I made great works. I built houses. I planted vineyards. He went on to say, I made myself gardens and parks and orchards and made myself pools from which watered forests were nurtured and nourished. The result? Emptiness, vanity, worthlessness. He said, I, I sought for meaning and prosperity. I enlarged the number of my servants. I enlarged the herds and flocks more than any other king before me. I amassed great wealth, silver, gold. I hired singers, musicians, entertainers. I had chariots, horses, and armies. Uh, he married, oh, folks, we're going to have to pause on this one. Solomon married seven 100 wives, had 300 concubines, 300 women in his harem. That's a thousand, that's a thousand visa bills every month, folks. That's a thousand. What's going on here? Long, long before Israel had a king, God warned, God warned future kings in Deuteronomy. He said, I I need to tell you, don't you dare amass horses and don't you multiply wives and don't you accumulate silver and gold or here's what's going to happen. You're going to trust in yourself and in your own might and you're going to allow your heart to be stolen away by the gods of fall and women, and you're going to rely on yourself more than you rely on God. And it was prophetic of what King Solomon did. The man who wrote the book on first love, the man who wrote the book on wisdom, the man who warned his son, don't follow strange women. The Bible says, as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord, his God. You see, when you're following other gods, 
When you make anything an idol in your life, you are saying there is something better than God. When you and I pursue a friendship and a relationship that's ungodly, we're saying there's got to be something better than God. But God used Solomon to write this one last book as an old man. He said, I search for meaning and I search for happiness. But all it brought was emptiness, vanity, emptiness. Emptiness is what you and I feel feel when we try to fill our lives with anything other than God. Emptiness is what the idolater feels who has elevated anything before God. Solomon said, everything I searched for was meaningless. It was like chasing the wind. Nothing was gained from my life under the sun. Hey, 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 morning devotion, Roxanne, Kathy, Keith, listen to me. Stuff won't take the place of God. Fame won't take the place of God. Money won't take the place of God. Busyness and accomplishment won't take the place of God. Knowledge, erudition, wit, charm, looks, fashion, elegance, none of it will take the place of God. You ask Houston's own Howard Hughes, uh, giving himself over to fame and Hollywood and accomplishment. He died a miserable failure. Boris Becker, tennis star, won Wimbledon twice as a young man. But he said, I I had no inner peace. Uh, I was a puppet on a string. Uh, I was so unhappy. Uh, The American dream is a lie. Famed author Jack Higgins said, when you get to the top, you're going to find out there's nothing there. There is nothing there. It's vanity. It's empty. It's meaningless and nothing. And if you're feeling emptiness today, if you sense emptiness in your life, uh, you need to get a hold of this truth. There is nothing better than God. There is nothing better than God. You remember that song we sang, the world will try to satisfy that longing in your soul. You may search the wide world or, but you'll be just as before. You'll never find true satisfaction until you found the Lord for only Jesus can satisfy your soul. Only he can change your heart and make you whole. You remember that? He'll give you peace you never knew. Sweet love and joy and heaven too. For only Jesus can satisfy your soul. (laughs) I can't leave it there because God didn't leave it there with Solomon. You see, David and Bathsheba named him that Solomon, but Nathan the prophet picked up that child and said, I shall call you Jedediah. I shall call you the beloved of God. And God loved Solomon. Even though Solomon did not fully love God, God loved Solomon. And the gospel, the good news for Solomon, is that at the end of an old man's book that he wrote, 
at the end of Ecclesiastes, like the prodigal who stirred himself. I want to give somebody hope right now. As the prodigal stirred himself, King Solomon came to his senses and he said, hear the conclusion of the matter. Fear God. That means worship God, love God, keep his commandments, follow him, trust him. This is the whole duty of man. The new King James says, this is man's all. Another translation, this is all we were created for, to worship God and to love God and to give ourselves wholly to God. Another translation says, this is what it means to be human. And still another says, this is the whole man, that you are all wrapped up in the Lord Jesus Christ. In the season of prayer, I want to bid you turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face uh, because the fame and the popularity and the stuff and the things and the false friends are all going to fall away. Oh, yes, they are. They're all going to fall away because there is nothing. You hear me carefully. There is nothing. I want to say it again. There is nothing, absolutely nothing better than God. And as you come to grips with that, you're going to turn to him and say, I'm not believing that old lie that there's something better than you, God. I'm not, I'm not viewing you as a corollary in my life, as an also ran, as a secondary thing and pursuit in my life. You are primary. I'm turning to you. I'm believing on you. This is my whole duty to worship you, get lost in you. And guess what? Guess what? Guess what? The emptiness will become fullness. And the meaninglessness will become meaningfulness. And the godlessness will become godfulness. And worship will grip your life once again. Thank you for being a part of this. Leave your prayer requests out to the side. Share with someone. Like the page. Follow the page. We're going to be praising God today that we know there's nothing better than him. God bless you in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to Morning Devotion with Ken Gurley. Join us next time for another inspiring devotion. To support this ministry, please visit firstchurch.com forward slash give.